Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I am your guest, Justin Lamb. This is the second and final part of the interview of me by some of my previous guests and our resident therapist, Jenny Helms. And stay tuned after the episode um, for an Ask a Therapist with Jenny Helms, where I have a pretty good realization about my brother. Kind of goes along with the theme, right? I did get a lot of questions about the podcast and about my, some of the music that I've made with people and by myself. And so that's kind of what this episode is. It's a more of a technical episode about the podcast and and where it came from and why I do it and all that good stuff. So without further ado. Welcome. My name is Jenny Helms. My name's Michelle. Hi, my name's Rebecca. My name's Dan Karen. Hi, my name is Pam. And I'll be interviewing. And I'm interviewing. Just- I'll be interviewing Justin. And I'll be interviewing Justin Lamb. And I'll be interviewing Justin Lamb. Yeah. Well, let's let's get right into it. So, um, actually, what you were just talking about is a, a good segue for for one of the questions I have at the top of my list for things I wanted to ask you. Ooh. When you first mentioned that you were up for getting interviewed, you had a, you mentioned a few re- that you had some reservations, um, and one of them was that the person interviewing you um, not asking the right questions. Um, so, which which makes perfect sense because you you come up with content and you're challenged with making things interesting. Um, so it's natural that that would be a reservation you would have. So. Um, my question to you is, what are the right questions? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I, I, I don't. I personally find that whether you think you know someone or not, you should interview everybody like you don't know them. Because um, everybody that I thought I knew, especially in the beginning, uh, before I realized this, I, I didn't. And I think that's true across the board. Uh, so the thing that's happened and the thing that why I'm doing a bunch of these and I think it's going to work out best is like I said, I think people are coming from the approach of like how they know you. And it's, it's a natural thing to do, right? Like if you're best friends with someone from ages 10 to 20, you're probably not going to ask them too many questions about what happened to them between the ages of 10 and 20. Cause the natural right. assumption is like, I already know. And then what I found out early on, like interviewing one of my best friends, Chris is I didn't, no, <laughs> like I was, I was being like, oh yeah, your mom, Deanna and your dad, like, like I knew his parents' names. I knew when they got divorced, like I knew everything. And then it turns out like the more questions I asked is like, oh, I didn't know everything. And right. it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. So I, I, there's just so many lessons like that, that I've learned over the last 50 interviews that I've done that I think going into it without that behind you, I would be concerned that people don't have that same thing which is why i wouldn't want just one person so that that would be my reservations and so to answer your question what are the right questions i mean i don't know a lot of stuff just having an inquisitive mind trying to figure out how things connect i mean i've just started coming to the terms with the fact that i have abandonment issues from my parents divorce when i was four years old <laughs> i consistently said that i didn't have so anytime i interview somebody as long as I like ask them about their childhood and, and stuff like that, typically when we get into adult years, you can start to draw lines. And sometimes they're like, yeah, that's why I do that. But sometimes my favorite part of any interview is when you see people get that like aha moment where they're like, oh shit, I never thought about that. But yeah, that's exactly why. Like, that's my, that's like the fuel of me doing this. <laughs> Those little moments are my favorite thing in the world. 
So I know that you've explained before what your motivation was to create um, Friend Request. Yeah. Has the intention transformed or changed in the process of doing it? I think it's yes. A short answer, yes. Um, I don't know if I really knew what I was doing when I started it. Um, I think... I kind of selfishly wanted an outlet where I could slowly reveal parts of myself to other people while interviewing them. Um, which is, it has been that, but I don't think I really understood how valuable that part of it would be. Not to use the same phrase again, but it's been a double-edged sword because it's been really great to get to know people. And I love the interview, especially when I'm in person. This part kind of sucks a little, but... <laughs> I, I love the interview and I love the, the getting to know people on a, on a level that I definitely didn't. And most people that know them don't know them on that level. But then there's the kind of the fallout of it where just because, you know, just because they did that interview and just because I know that about them doesn't mean A, that they know anything about me. And then B, that all of a sudden, like, we're not, we're not hanging out every weekend now. Like, this, um, and it has rekindled some friendships that I've had in the past, um, which has been great. And I'm very yeah. thankful for that. But there's hasn't been any sort of like side aspect where it's been like, oh, yeah, so now we're best friends, um, mm -hmm. which is funny because I think part of me assumed that would happen to some degree. Not like that we would hang out every weekend, but uh, when you get to know people and there's some people, the other thing is there's some people I don't really care for. <laughs> I don't I don't wish them ill will, but like getting to know them more really kind of sealed the deal on some of that <laughs> no i totally get it when you when you work with someone especially you spend a lot of time with that person yeah. but sometimes you never get past surface value yeah. and then you actually start seeing your heart and you're like i'm not really fond of that yeah and then you, know, you got you share the same jokes or you share the same environment when you remove that environment you you really see someone's character and then you're like i'm just not a fan of you yeah, today's climate is perfect for identifying that as well. When you interview people for this podcast, do you ever have material that's just so fucking awkward that you just can't use it? You're just like, what? What is even happening? Like I have I have interviews that are awkward. One I hadn't, one I didn't release because the guy called me before I could even edit it and was like, "I don't want to do this," and I was like, "Okay, cool." Wow. Um, and I was so starved for interviews because this was the end of the first season and like one of the reasons I ended the season. So I was like, I can't not use Damn. this. And then he was like, don't use that. I was like, all right. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I the thing with awkwardness with the interviews is just really when those moments come up that it's an uncomfortable subject. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've yeah. kind of faced this myself, right? So I was... I was all gung ho, like I want to talk about being sexually abused, and then yeah. then I started talking about I'm doing EMDR therapy right now, and specifically like starting with that event, and then I was like, oh, I can't talk about this yet because I, wow. I mean, like I can, and like, yeah. and especially when I share that moment with someone like you, and like then yeah. then it's a lot more comfortable to talk about, but. Good. When I start diving into it, like in a therapy session, I'm like, oh, so I am not okay with this yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've seen yeah. that on the other side of the table. Uh, and obviously it's, it's more difficult to gauge like via FaceTime, but when I was totally. sitting down with people in person, like, wow. so it's, it's just, 
you know, as an interviewer, I want to kind of push a little. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not here to like make you have a breakdown so I can like record a fucking podcast episode. So that does feel a little, a little dirty. It's yeah, it's a, it's a weird line to draw, but sometimes that scares me so much that I end up with crappy interviews and it's all my fault (laughs) because I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to pry into anything. Um, It's a weird space. I feel like you're inviting someone to give themselves permission to, you know, disclose this thing that's happened but at the same time i've i appreciate the opportunity to be pushed to do something like that because i think half of the trauma comes from the living in the shadow part you know like the fact that you don't get to talk about this and hear other people's stories and stuff so that's got to be a hard line to toe like yeah and it's weird too because people will openly give me stuff before i ever talk to them for the podcast Um, like i just did an interview last week she ahead of time was like Oh, well, my, my dad's a pedophile. I don't talk to my parents. Like I'm this way sexually and blah. And then even though she just offered all that up, I was like, do I bring it up? (laughs) But even though like she already brought it up, it should be fine. Yeah. And and it was because I like was like, I got to fucking mention this stuff. But like, how do you segue into that? Like you're like, I mean, yeah. And then that's when my grandma died. I was like, that's cool. Tell me about your sexuality. Right. So there's never a, yeah, uh, when I'm editing stuff like that, it's so fucking cringy, the transition, because it's like, how do I get there? How do I make the conversation naturally go to this thing that I know they already brought up and we'll talk about? Yeah, it's weird. This has been like a super interesting journey into like just human conversation, both for me and like, uh, like socially and, and then just professionally for like what i want to do you know what uh it's a great learning skill to become a therapist but it's great socially like i'm i'm not great socially with friends and everything and um yeah so i finding that like i get in a different mindset when i'm interviewing somebody so being able to like kind of flip that switch yeah like i found myself um up north at my friend's house my friend's husband like he's cool he's a great guy but like you know, he likes football and college sports and, like, doesn't yeah. do creative things. And, like, right. and he's a great person. We just, like, don't have a bunch in common. And so I, like, we were alone for a while. So I, like, flipped that switch on. And I was, like, we started talking about his parents' divorce and his sister. And I was, like, yes, but not in, like, an intrusive way. So it it's really yeah. helped me identify how to like start to develop those friendships. Cause that's really like what I'm seeking. Yeah. Cause I myself have been so closed off that I just avoid those conversations. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like a sad thing. I'm, <laughs> it's funny. That you're, it's great. It's great. <laughs> this is for me. Cause I constantly this have this voice. That's like, Justin, shut up. It's not your interview. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so this is, that's working out well for me, but uh, good. Good. I'm glad. Is there anything bad that's come of doing the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> same validation shit as every facebook post and instagram story mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i look at the number the download numbers constantly uh and and part of i mean i i don't necessarily have to but i i, I do and like so I'll, I'll share a quick antidote and this is i have to give a disclaimer ahead of time that this is not a pity party story. <laughs> like, I do not expect anybody to log off of this interview and go, like, subscribe to anything. In fact, I think I took it down. But anyway, uh, at some point, like, I was getting 
and I'm getting back there now this month, November, I think I'll be there for sure. Like over a thousand downloads a month, um, which I was like, blew my fucking mind. Uh, cause I did the beers and nineties thing for two years and those are numbers I never dreamed of. And so I was like, Oh, I actually have something here. Like I'm connecting with people. Like that's crazy. And so then I was like, well, I'm in an, I'm in a range where I could like put a couple ads in and get like at least a little bit of money. Cause what people don't understand is I, I paid to do this podcast, like the, the hosting platform, I pay a monthly fee there. And then the, you know, I probably spend between doing interviews and editing interviews, like eight hours a week. Uh, like, um, so I was like, if I could put an ad or two in and just like break even on what I pay in the, to host the platform, um, that would be awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, instead I'll make a Patreon because, you know, like a lot of people don't like ads. And I, I like, I get it. I fast forward through most ads and podcasts that I listen to, hit the little skip 30 second button. Fuck yeah. Um, so I was like, I'll do a Patreon. That way people can just like join in. You know, Patreon is like a subscription thing. Yeah. So yeah. Like, people can pay, you know, five bucks a month and then they get. I have extra bonus content like from the podcast that I cut out and like stupid little stories between like you and me or something. Um, or like I've recorded extra songs that I've made. Like it'll be like a Justin Lamb Patreon. So you can get like MP3 downloads of songs and little snippets from episodes. Like you get the episode early, like, you know, bonus, regular bonus shit. And so I created that and nobody subscribed like it was up for months and nobody subscribed my mom reached out to me at one point was like how do i sign up for this i was like mom all due respect i don't want someone to go on there and be like oh he only has one person oh it's his mom (laughs) so so i was like so i'll tell you what if if i get more people i'll let you know how to get to it and sign up and uh so nobody did and i i was like well fuck uh and that so now i'm back to uh probably gonna end up putting ads (laughs) But it's little shit like that where that's that's the hardest part is there's still that validation. And because it means so much to me, it almost kind of like stings a little more when I don't get what I'm looking for. But like I said at the beginning, I need to be I need to show more gratitude for the little stuff that I do get, because I think the people that do get stuff taken away from this, it's not like, oh, I smiled at a video and cooking pasta like it's like shit that like hit me hard and like i can totally relate to that and like some people it's been like really i don't want to say life-changing and like give myself a bunch of credit but like some people and it's not my stories it's other people's stories that i'm interviewing about but like it's been like uh it's changed relationships for people you know so those are bigger than any fucking comment section i could get and i gotta really take more gratitude for that and it's, it's hard to do um in my state of mind. <laughs> I think it's important though, for you to share what you just did that, you know, I think people probably want to know that you're like paying out of your own pocket to do this. You yeah. know, I think people want to know what kind of time you're investing because n- not everyone knows that, you know, you, a lot of times we listen to, we, we, we take in content, but we don't think about what goes into creating that. Yeah. Um, and how someone gets to that point, you know, I mean, just editing, uh, and conversation alone has to be somewhat daunting. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's I it's mean, time consuming. If you if we think if we talk for an hour, I'm listening to that thing for two hours editing it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, I do think about that. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that everyone always thinks about 
those sides of things. I think it's good to share that with people. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny that it kind of ties into, I did an interview with this girl, Leslie, who I went to high school with, but we never met. We figured out that we'd never met before. <laughs> um, but I was in Indianapolis and that's where she lives. And like my buddy said, Hey, my friend Leslie lives there. You know, her from high school. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> and, uh, but we hooked up and I interviewed her and she like started her own company there and is like extremely successful and everything. And, and the, the big takeaway though, is we talked about knowing your own worth, like knowing what your value is. Cause she did a lot of print work and you know, in that business you have to be able to be like, I can do so many words for this much money. Like you need to know what your work is worth. And that was a big takeaway for me. Cause as someone that like I've talked about, doesn't value himself very well. It's, it's difficult for me to ask for things on a realistic level of what I think the content's worth. Right. Like it, it, it feels weird if I were to be like, Hey, give me five bucks a month. Cause this show's fucking great. <laughs> cause right. uh, you know, that's, that's hard to do when in, in reality, fuck you. This show's great. Give me five bucks. A month. <laughs> right. Sometimes no. I, it's, I feel like I'm being cocky, but I'm nowhere near that level yet. So I need to just like look at it as confidence and, and kind of address it that way. But it, it's hard. It's, but I, it, it's hard, but super relatable to, I, I think not really know your own worth or give yourself enough credit. And when you get to that point, I think you can find a lot more success for yourself in, in that realm. Right. That's good. Um, I had more questions about the beginning when we were talking about the podcast and stuff, but it was mainly just like getting nervous before an interview. Um, I think you kind of covered that. Did you, do you want to say more on that? I mean, I, I get nervous I have a... just that it's not going to be, I'll build it up beforehand. Whether I like what does it that look not. like, like, so if people share a lot, like sometimes called oversharers on like Facebook. I'll yeah. be like, Oh, they're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. This is going to be great. <laughs> um, and then, and then they don't, and then I have to bring it up and then they're still yeah. reserved about it. And I'm like, wait, Stay. but, but wait. Uh, so that's, I do that sometimes. And I've tried to, all the stuff that I do in the nervous area, I've like been able to identify and try to get away from yeah. it for the most part. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it still happens and there's still, sure. there's people that I, I, I'm like, I'll get nervous to interview. So uh, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> like there's been I, people like I've been attracted to or been like yeah. shy about talking to because I'm attracted to them. And then it's, yeah. so I build it all up ahead of time. Like, oh my God, this is where we connect. And then like <laughs> nothing. Um Oh my God. I do the opposite. I'm like, this is going to be awful. You're going to lose what you were saying and just stare and it's going to be super uncomfortable. Like I just, well, I do that too, where I like will listen. Cause I have to fucking edit these and I'll listen. I'll be like, Oh my God, why, why are you, why is your voice in that octave? What is, what is happening? Oh my gosh. Who, if you could have anyone on your podcast at first I was like, celebrity and then i was like no it could be living or dead and then i was like no it doesn't even have to be a celebrity so just who do you want on the podcast oh man so i i already know my answer it's just i'm not saying my answer <laughs> initially when you said that i was like oh dax shepherd uh but then when you said doesn't have to be a celebrity living or dead and i was like oh uh my immediate thought was my dad <laughs> oh that's great yeah but i you know there's obviously caveats there it would have to be like a 
uh, a well-minded sober version of himself like you know if i interviewed my dad fucking seven years ago he'd be think i was adam or something so it just wouldn't really work right um but yeah so a, that's a wonderful answer yeah i've been thinking about that a lot lately about reaching out to my aunts and uh not necessarily interviewing them like not for the podcast at least for any reason but just to like find out more about my dad just as like a you know kid 20 year old the years that i know nothing about because yeah yeah it's fun to see the things that like i've inherited a lot of things physically <laughs> uh right but i uh you know be fun to find out more absolutely we'll see. that's really cool that's a that's a great answer um and that's a that's a that's an interesting thing to think about you know yeah. learning more about our parents is who they were before they were our parents. Yeah. It's funny. That's really good. That's a good answer. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. My mom just texted me today. She's going through like her storage unit. She was like texting me pictures of like old detentions and suspensions that I got. She was like, do you want me to keep these? And I was like, like, I don't know. There was a part of me that was like, maybe like my son's <laughs> son or something will want to know more about who I was. But then I was like, I, don't, I also just don't want to hang on to these things. That I, what grandpappy get attention for? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, also probably just kind of a little bit yeah. egotistical to think that someone's going to even care about that in two generations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most people don't. That's, <laughs> that's the biggest thing I, I constantly have in the back of my head is like my personal legacy. <laughs> mm hmm. I know. Try to create this narrative. Yeah. I want I want something that someone will find in two hundred years and I'll still be relevant. Right. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. I think that every time I go to a cemetery I look and I'm like, oh like it's so weird to think about like all of these people are like essentially forgotten in like two generations, something like yeah. sometimes three. It's sad. Oh yeah. You know like you know that, how many but... fucking bathrooms I've drunkenly carved my initials into the wall while taking a piss? <laughs> So I'm like, these are going to be here forever. People will know my name. <laughs> Fucking stupid. They, they will love to know that I was in this bathroom. So when did you fall in love with music? Ooh, Lion King. <laughs> when the Lion King came out. I loved the Lion King soundtrack. It was embarrassingly my first CD. I like to say my first CD was Bob Seger because it was my second CD, but let's be honest. My first CD was the Lion King soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, my mom's musical taste was all over the fucking board, and there was a lot of, like, 90s dance music happening when I was growing up. Uh -huh. uh, and she was, like, all about that. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you were in Michigan when they had 93.1 DRQ, uh, of course. Yeah. So DRQ was. I heard. I, I heard it. So yeah. yeah. I've been here. Uh, you know, it's like be my love. I wanna be my like that shit. And then when I got introduced to like actual music, I was like, oh, like I always like choir and singing and stuff, but I didn't really make a emotional connection to it until I heard them Elton John pipes. I guess. <laughs> He's got a way of getting in your feels. Well, I want to I want to go back a little bit because yeah. during those seven years, you had a lot going on with your music as well. Take us, take oh. us through. Oh, my music. <laughs> your musical journey, yeah. When I moved back from Nashville, Minerka got her first place. I released my first album since California, which was called Living Room Sessions. It was like seven songs. 
some that I'd written in California and like some more recent ones. Um, and like realizing I could record in my closet was nice. Like <laughs> all the clothing provided like soundproofing so I could go into the closet with my guitar and my microphone, my computer and like record in there and it sounded pretty decent. And then I started, when I moved back from California, I guess I never talked about this, but I started playing shows at bars um, where I just do cover songs. So I do four hour sets of just covers, um, usually like 90s and classic rock stuff. And I did that for from 2006 to 2015. Uh, and how did you how did you get yourself uh, in the door with that? Uh, people I like people that listen to me. Shout out to Jenny and Hillary. Um, they they knew people that worked at a bar that booked people. Um, and once you get in one place, you can kind of use that place as a reference, and you know you word of mouth get around to other places, and just kind of works out. I mean, it, you definitely have to like make a fucking effort. And I learned that the hard way because when I stopped making an effort, I stopped getting <laughs> booked places. But yeah, they, they knew a guy at this bar called Tappers in Rochester Hills. It's a fucking garbage bar. And I hated playing there, but I was also like getting what I thought was great money. Uh, and I mean, it's not terrible at all, but like, and I mean, that's part of the thing like that drove me to have all those relationships at like, best buy and stuff is i would be like hey i'm playing at bar louis across the street you guys should all come out and get drinks and uh i'll play music and you know that's that's kind of that was an origin for a lot of different <laughs> friendships but on my original music stuff i did that living room sessions album and then i decided somewhere uh i don't know 2011 or something 2012 but I wanted to make an album like with a full band. So I talked to some people that I knew that played instruments. Uh, shout out to Rob Shannon, Dustin Kring, and Billy Perkins. And uh, we started practicing like all my own songs, but like with their instruments added in. <laughs> and then I started a Kickstarter in 2013 and raised almost six grand to go in the studio and record an album and did that. It's hanging on my wall what right What was the experience like? recording an album in a studio fucking awesome <laughs> if i had the money i would just every time i had a song idea i would just go to a studio <laughs> and record it um which actually wouldn't be that expensive it was just me and my guitar uh it's, it really is amazing and it's it's one of the few experiences in life that really is like how you see in tv and movies because <laughs> uh, recording studios can only be set up like a certain way and uh, there's obviously differences in how they look and like depending on the equipment and how they sound and like obviously like Electric Lady Studios in New York is going to be different than uh, Temper Mill in Ferndale where I recorded. But like the soundproof booths and all the fucking area rugs all over the floor for soundproofing and to cover up chords and uh, and then you go in the mixing room and you listen to people play and it's like it really is exactly like you think it would be based on like watching movies and stuff it was, it was amazing uh it was absolutely amazing i wish i could do it all the time even when i'm not like interested in playing guitar and singing i still that experience is super fun like what a great environment to be around constantly i can't imagine like working in that area just you're constantly surrounded by creativity and stuff i mean the downside is you also have to record 
terrible garbage that people just have money and they're like i want to make an album you're like okay and you just have to smile and listen to them and record it um but it was it was great it was it was perfect it was everything i wanted it to be so just wish it would have lasted like for weeks at a time instead of like a long weekend <laughs> so how did you feel once you have accomplished this you raised six thousand dollars you were able to record in a studio you got a band to play your music and you end up with this product this tangible uh material this thing that you've created how does that feel fine <laughs> i was i was no i was really um so my immediate feeling was i guess i'm done now i felt like i kind of like did the thing i wanted to do and like um you know like if you're like i want to write a book and then you write the book and then you're like all right i, I guess i'm i'm done i wrote the book so there was like the a strange melancholy when it was over but then uh i never i was never like really and i still struggle to be like proud of that i think it's remarkable like stating the facts of like oh raising this money and like you wrote these songs and then you collaborated with these people to record the, like if anyone were to tell me they did those things i'd be like that is fucking amazing that's awesome but i can't give myself that <laughs> uh, i'm really bad at giving myself the kind of praise that i would give anyone else and i, I still feel that way like, you know, I have boxes of my fucking CD and I was like, why did I order these? No one's buying these like this, this. That was so fucking stupid. And it's just like a joke in my entire like group of people now. Like Erica thinks it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. Like I do. I just have boxes of these CDs. You know, it was Kickstarter. So if you donated, you got a CD amongst other things, depending on how much you donated. And other than those, though, like I didn't sell a bunch more it's on to this day still on iTunes and stuff. I don't, I don't think I've ever, so I pay $50 a year to keep it on iTunes and, uh, Google and all those stores and shit. Uh, I think I in the hole every year. I don't think I've ever sold and that's go. It's a $10 album. So it means that means I've never sold five albums <laughs> in a year to at least break even on the $50 I pay every year. So it never felt like a success because, in, in sales wise it was not and i had i had delusions of grandeur about that um because I, I like i wrote up a contract that we all signed that like had here's how we're going to split the proceeds like from sales and i just i thought it would go better than it did and looking back there's stuff on it i would change so it's just not something like i'm happy i made it and it's really cool to have my songs with a band behind them. And I really like, uh, some of the bass solos and, and like, I like a lot of stuff about it, but I'm not like super proud of it. Cause I don't feel like it was very successful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I, um, <laughs> I don't have any more questions. Cool. Well, I'm glad you asked so many. <laughs> very, I'm very happy about all of it. We're good. Good. Thanks for doing this. Pleasure as always. You are very welcome. Yeah. Have Just a good day. Take care, Becca. Right, bye. So you have you're gonna do like a bunch of these and then kind of what cut it together or what's your yeah, plan? Yeah, I'm gonna slice it up. All right. Well, have a good rest of your Saturday. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I hope. Uh, I I hope I asked 
questions appropriately. <laughs> I hope you got the answers you were seeking. <laughs> Indeed. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. I'm going to end that Thanks. on a high note. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for, for doing this. Thank you, man. Thanks. Thank you for doing this. You're yeah, the interviewer, you. so I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, well, I was honored. I'm glad to be a part of it. I, like I said, I appreciate your content and what you do. So any way I can help, um, I'm always here. I keep telling me that. That helps a lot. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I really does. I, I, I really do. I appreciate you saying that and, and listening. And, and uh, Well, I mean it. Yeah. Thanks, brother. If your mom nice finds any you. uh, toys in that storage unit, you let me know. <laughs> I sure will. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Talk yeah. to you soon. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for letting me. Yay. Thanks for, thanks for taking an interest. Um, <laughs> you got it, buddy. Well, thanks, Pam. Yeah. I'll talk to bye. you soon, hopefully. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye. Right, bye. All right. All right. Go to work. I will talk to you later. Go, do Go your, to work. Go do your job. <laughs> Go do your job. I don't want to. Yeah, I know. But thank you. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Always. All right. All right. Take care. I'll talk to you Friday. Right. Bye, Jay. Bye. I am back with Jenny Helms, licensed clinical marriage and family therapist and resident therapist of the podcast with another session of answering listener questions. This one I'm confused because you do family therapy. Mm -hmm. So maybe you know this term more than I do because I don't know what it means. (laughs) Um, Evie asks how to deal with narc parenting. Like narcissistic parents? Oh, that makes sense. That ties in with another question, too. <laughs> let's, mm. let's talk about narcissists, because we have two questions. Um, how to deal with narc parenting, which apparently is narcissistic. That's the only thing it can be, right? Immediately, it was like negative, like negging, but that's, that's the wrong word. Um, so how to deal with narc parenting. And then Heather asks, what are some healthy boundaries you can set with someone who is a narcissist? Okay, well... Can we start There's by some... defining narcissist? Because that's a word I feel it like gets thrown around a lot. I definitely am guilty yeah. of throwing it around and, and then figuring out what it means and being like, oh, Justin, you were using that wrong. So Yeah, 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 that's totally fair. So to me, I also see this kind of as a spectrum. Like all of us from time to time can have narcissistic traits, by the way. Like we can all struggle with narcissism. Um, but a true narcissist would not have empathy like genuinely like cannot feel empathy for other people when they are going through hard things like they cannot understand it or put themselves in their shoes they do not feel sorry when they hurt people what's the difference between that and a sociopath okay so that's that's fair that's fair (laughs) i'll fight you (laughs) no it's all good um yeah no no a sociopath has those traits too and like you know can harm and and kill animals and that sort of thing but a narcissist still cares about their ego and the way that they're perceived where a sociopath doesn't got it um a narcissist needs to be right they need to be good they and in their eyes they always are um they don't have the ability to see like their ego cannot handle honestly it's it's really interesting because with narcissists they actually have a very fragile sense of self like they're actually very insecure and people are always like oh yeah that's great but they you know shit on people all the time so they kind of have a hard time seeing that but really they can't admit that they're wrong or that they might have hurt somebody or that they struggle because like it's so fragile like they don't know what to do with that um and so they have to still look good they still they have to be right 
they they almost take joy not like i shouldn't say joy but like some of the features you'll see is they 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 don't care and or take joy in someone struggling or emotionally reacting to something i like feel like, like i'm it, holding up a sign right now that says jenny describe my brother for me and you're just hitting all the <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and i think it's because when somebody emotionally reacts they feel more like the story in their mind, they are more emotionally validated and being how they are. And so they don't, they even more so don't have to look at their behaviors and say sorry and actually deal with their stuff yeah. because it's easy to just be like, well, look, you're crazy. You just react, right? Like, yeah. look at you. Like, I don't have to deal with my shit because you're the one who's, you know, it just, it adds to their story. And so that's why they kind of gaslight and they enjoy, they not enjoy, well, some do, I think, actually, in a weird way, get a sense of enjoyment from that because it validates their story and their narcissism. They just want what they, like, it's just that, they talk about how, like, four-year-olds, they all, we all go through a phase of narcissism, by the way, typically developmentally. Yeah. And you'll see this in toddlers, and, like, a really good example of this that I was told once was, you know, if you see two kiddos and there's, like, siblings, and they're both trying to eat their cookies, and one's, like, ate their cookie, and the other one's, like, taking their time, and... They steal the other cookie and they're four years old and the mom doesn't see it until later or the parent doesn't see it until later and is like, hey, um, say sorry to your sister for eating their cookie. You know, the four-year-old who has more of that, like they're going through that narcissist phase, so to speak, will say something like, I'm sorry your cookie was good. Like, <laughs> versus you know, having like genuine... Yeah empathy or, <laughs> or or sorrow or you know what I mean like they really just have a hard time like understanding why like their actions hurt other people or um yeah taking ownership of that yeah. at all well so then with that definition getting back to the questions uh, yeah so how to deal with narcissist parents and what are some boundaries you can set with someone who is a narcissist so dealing with narcissistic parents, I just want to first say like a, that is such a hard thing to, to grow up with. And like, you're like, I don't know that you're supposed to have the tools you need to deal with a narcissist parent when you grow up with a narcissist parent. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I can't imagine having a parent with no empathy. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if anything, you're going to learn some really like bizarre ways of coping with that and like seeing the world. And I say bizarre only in the sense that like, you know, you may have some codependent or enmeshment ways of seeing things because it's unsafe for you to be yourself and have opinions or to go up against somebody who is a narcissist yeah. as a kid. Like you're going to learn weird ways of coping with the world. So I think, I honestly think the best thing for you would be to like connect with other healthy friendships or mentors and people who are not narcissists. Like you're going to need that support. You're going to need to see that embodied in relationship. Like you're going to have to experientially be with other people who are not narcissists yes. because your whole nervous system is currently wired to survive a narcissist. That's rough. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'm like first grace for yourself. Like you're not supposed to be doing things like, like in relationships in healthy ways, honestly, because like, I mean, it would just be a miracle. Like, how would you get that unless you learn it and you experience that safely? Like, your nervous system experiences that safely in a different environment. Yeah. So just just having those connections, working with a therapist or – I mean, it doesn't have to be a therapist, but, like, I just feel like you need to do the work to understand 
like have that self-awareness of how this has impacted you and the way you see the world, the way you see relationships and how your nervous system has ultimately grown up and been impacted by a narcissist. You're going to have to develop a strong sense of who you are and set really strong boundaries. And part of setting those boundaries, honestly, the number one thing you're going to have to work on is being okay with the fact that A, they probably won't be respected and B, that narcissistic parent will never see you accurately. They will never see you as a good, like good enough or a good person or the ways that you want them to see you. If it doesn't match their story of, staying a narcissist you just have to accept that (laughs) and that sucks yeah it totally and it's it's kind of a similar story with like parents who are struggling with um substance misuse and i mean there's there's different ways this looks with different parenting styles but like i know it sucks for me to say that because we all dearly want our parents to see us and like see our 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 good hearts we want that so bad and i i want to like say like i get that and to know that you may never get that and that has nothing to do with the fact that you have a good and beautiful heart. So I don't know. I mean, obviously I can go down a rabbit hole with that, but I think those are the main big points that I'm like, these are really important features to recognize, to, to accept and to heal and to set boundaries and and do that in a way where you have zero expectations that they're actually going to see you in a good light for it because narcissists are never excited about boundaries. They always think it's you being manipulative or I don't know. They just make up stories about it because boundaries go against their narcissism. So yeah, just preparing yourself for that. Yeah. So you're screwed. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> well, you got to be more you know, okay with like, you might, ha- you have to, you might just have to learn and heal and get your emotional needs met outside of that relationship and grieve the fact that you never get to have that with your parent unless they're willing to work on that stuff. Yeah. And narcissists, it's, they're so buried in shame. There's actually a lot of shame with narcissism that like, that's, that's kind of the biggest obstacle for them is, is weirdly the shame and insecurities they have that will never, that they like never actually work on their shit. Yeah. I mean, that's what I say about my brother is like, I'll never have, I have to kind of accept that I will never have like a good relationship with him, especially on my terms, you know, like, unless he, uh, goes to therapy or something like that. Like that's just not in the cards. Um, but yeah. yeah, well, there you go. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Realistic, sad answer. <laughs> a really realistic, sad answer there. Um, um, it is what it is though, man. That's. I mean, and, I feel like that like, goes yeah. back to the the thing that I, I hate hearing, but like obviously there's a lot of truth in which is like you can't control how people are going to react to you or the boundaries you set or anything like that. You can only kind of control your side, and sometimes you gotta. I, I like your your phrasing of of grieve that you that relationship that you're not going to have, because um, that's yeah I think that's the reality of it. Yeah. I mean, and especially when it is that like fan, like that sibling or that parent, like you want that so bad because that's like what family is supposed to be. Yeah. And they're freaking not for many people. Um, And some people they are. And then you're like, well, screw those people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, I I mean, I I just want to say I get that. I get that emotional response and desire and like want slash need to to have that. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, here yeah. we go. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, all right, that's it, guys. That's all she wrote. That is the end of my interview. You know, if I start this Patreon again, I I will put all these interviews on there in their entirety because well, there's, God, there's 12, well, there's technically there's tw- like 14 hours interviews, but four hours of that is with a friend of mine that did not want to air it. So um, there's 10 hours of interviews that I, I'll post one day maybe, but let me know if you guys want to hear that. Let me know your feedback. Hopefully the one takeaway everybody got from this is I need your feedback. <laughs> uh, I love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Um, your response to episode one has been overwhelming and, and touched my heart and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we got our regular therapy episode next week, a uh, special topic, which I will not reveal yet. And then back to regular interviews. So Thanks, guys. Season two is going great. Only 14 interviews left of this season. Isn't that crazy to think about? I counted that yesterday. All right. I will talk to you soon. I love you. Uh, Bye-bye.